Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 13 of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. We're recording this episode during unprecedented times in our world, tough times. Please join me in gratitude for the frontline healthcare workers, which includes pharmacists, pharmacy residents, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians. Thank you. And I also want to say a special thank you to all those who are out there working to make the world a better place these days and dealing with the uh, civil unrest and social injustice and racial inequity that we're facing in our country and our world. So now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Sanella Billich, founder and CEO of Vanadro Drug Development Consulting, which is focused on drug development and clinical pharmacology. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Sanella and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. A little bit about Sonella's background. She earned her PharmD and MD, MBA degrees from Drake, then completed a research fellowship, and has extensive hands-on experience with all phases of drug development. I look forward to hearing more about that. So Sonella, thank you for being here with me today. As we get started, before we get into your career experiences, can you tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your childhood and coming to the United States? Sure, sure. First of all, thank you, Melissa, for the introduction. And thank you so, so much for inviting me to one of your podcasts. I truly love listening to them. And they are just simply inspirational to me and, and to, uh, to the few folks that, that I've shared them with. So thank you so much. I, I feel honored to be part of this. So to, to help you understand me and my journey, I'll tell you a bit of my story. Um, the story started well before, before 1995, which is when my American story started. Um, I came to U.S. on November 14th of 95 as a refugee from war-torn Bosnia and Herzegovina. But let me tell you now a little bit about my life before coming to U.S. Um, I was born in Sarajevo, capital city of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Bosnia and Herzegovina was part of Yugoslavia, was one of the six republics in, of Yugoslavia. Uh, beginning of my life was normal, city child, childhood. Summers were spent on Croatian coast, winters spent skiing uh, on surrounding Olympic mountains and just simply going to school and, and um, having, you know, having child, childhood memories. My childhood, as well as uh, childhood of many other children, uh, was suddenly interrupted with civil religious war that um, started in April of 92 while I was in seventh grade. The schools were canceled for the rest of the school year, just like it happened with current pandemic. And it was crazy. The life as we knew it uh, was, was gone. The modern city, like Sarajevo, all of a sudden had no water or electricity because the oppressors turned it off because they were on the part of the city that, that controlled water and electricity. And so, you know, if you lived in a, in a building that was 20 stories high, you actually had to take the steps up and not an elevator because there was no electricity. You didn't have water, running water. 
can you imagine going up to up to 20 20 story high um, building and you are on 17th floor trying to get like two three maybe 10 gallons of water up so that we have enough water to drink and and bathe and all of that stuff crazy crazy so we needed to walk two to five miles uh, from one side of the city to another side of the city to get water we would be allowed to have electricity every once in a while and so my mom and dad would go crazy making sure that we are able to cook things and you know wash the clothes in the washing machine and and stuff like that so they were like little little instances where we had some electricity where the water actually would go in as well and and so that was great but other than that we needed to to walk to to five miles to to actually just get water in gallons it would be just a single gallon you would go go with you know between five and ten gallons per person to be able to to deliver enough water to to have for a few days on the way we had to hide to make sure that we were not killed by sniper fire or projectile grenades i actually lost much of my left ear hearing due to a grenade exploding very close to me um literally on the other side of the wall um and so that was that was a horrific experience uh, but you know uh, as a child i mean i was in seventh grade i somehow you know, just lived, we all just lived through that. You learn that you just need to, you just need to live. And I spent time reading books. Um, gosh, that was my favorite pastime. I, I even read them under candlelight because there was no electricity. So we couldn't, we couldn't turn on the light to, to read. So I would read the books under, under candlelight because there was nothing else to do. So the school didn't start until like September, October of 92. So, so it did, I mean, eventually it did start. And so, so there was no buses taking us to schools. But actually there was no buses taking us to schools uh, even before the war because the schools were very close to, you know, I mean, they would be less than a mile away from, from my neighborhood. So, so there was no buses taking us to schools. However, we walked or ran to get to the school many times running to get away from sniper fire. And I kind of think back and say, my goodness gracious, how did I do that? I don't know that I, like today, like, you know, Sonella Village today, that I could actually persevere the way I did when I was a child. I, you know, just crazy experiences. So from there, I, I just, I, you know, I kind of think back and say the perseverance to continue learning and gaining knowledge was stronger than the fear of being killed or hurt by sniper fire or grenades or anything. You know, I say, I, I never even thought about not going to school. Uh, we were just trying to live the life as normal as possible uh, in the crazy dangerous time that, that we were living in. So that's, that's my, my childhood until it was time in, you know, we left Bosnia in September of 95. So ended up living in, in the war for three and a half years. You know, left it actually under false pretenses that I needed to, to get medical help. And uh, we were smuggled out of Sarajevo and ended up getting into Zagreb uh, where we went through the very rigorous uh, immigration process, interviews and, you know, medical assessments and stuff like that. To, to be able to be ready to, to come as refugees to the United States. Wow, that is such a story. And, you know, the resilience and the um, perseverance that you had as a child and your parents to navigate through that. You know, when you talk about 
walking for the water and you know the no electricity i mean i think sometimes people reflect how hard it is when you know the electricity goes out for a couple hours during a storm yeah. or you know something like that but that that was your daily reality on top of just a, the significant threat upon your life i really um thank you for sharing that with our listeners and for sharing your story i think it really set you up and i you know i look forward to us, our conversation today because i think it really set you up for what you did then after you came to the United States. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, like how you got to where you are today and who you would see as some of your influencers, both like personal and professional in your family and mentors and teachers that kind of helped you. And I know you have a strong interest in giving back. So tell me a little bit more about that. Sure, sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll take us back to the time when I came to the United States. And so, as I said, I came in November of 95. I started as a junior in high school in January of 96, and literally with zero English knowledge, I spoke, I could say thank you, and my name is Sanella, but that was after like a few weeks living here. So when I started, I, I had zero, zero English knowledge. And so one of the things that I learned right away was in order for me to succeed, in order for me to you know, succeed in this community, I needed to learn the language as quickly as I could. Um, I practiced pronouncing new words. I learned almost every day in front of a bathroom mirror by myself. I would read the, the big history books, and you, I'm sure you remember American history books were really, really thick. You know, they're they're not as thick as what we ended up what I ended up using in pharmacy school, but you know, in high school that was really, really thick. But I would, I would spend, um, I would spend hours and hours translating every word from English to Bosnian and utilizing dictionary to be able to understand the meaning of words and passages and chapters. And so little by little, I was getting pretty good at it. And as I became more comfortable with speaking and, and writing, I also became more confident in myself and, and what I wanted to, what I wanted to do. It was then when I realized that I have the ability to really attain anything I set my mind to. Learning the language and, you know, and I, and, and at that time, I mean, I learned quite a lot, but I was still not there. But learning a language in, in uh, you know, really a year and, and a half was huge. And so I was like, if I could do that, I could do anything. <laughs> so um, I graduated high school being in top of 3% of all graduating seniors in Des Moines in 97. I began to, to dream big and envision my, my future because, you know, I'm like, you know, I can do this. Yeah, so I started Drake in 97 and graduated in 2003 with PharmD and an MBA, which you have already mentioned. I was the first person in my entire family to earn a doctorate degree. So that was huge for my parents. It was huge for me, again, knowing where I started um, to what I accomplished in, you know, in a very short period of time. I, and I, in addition to that, I did this all while working two to three jobs to support my family and myself and myself and my family. So, you know, it was full-time, full-time farm being MBA and doing, doing the two to three jobs to be able to support the family. So it was tough time. It was not easy. And I'm the person that I am today because of the challenges that I encountered, the lessons that I have learned, and the people that I have met. I wouldn't change any of it. I am so, I feel fortunate to have had these experiences, even though they were tough at times, 
because it made me the person that I'm today. I wouldn't really be today, in addition to the experiences, without the amazing people that were my mentors over the years. I mean, I can't say it enough. I can't thank Dean Chestnut enough ever for believing in me. Uh, the beginning of Drake was tough for me. Uh, as my English, even though it was great for being able to be on top of your high school class, it was just not at the level I needed to be yet, you know, during my first couple of years at Drake. And so the good thing is I got it all figured out during the last four years uh, while excelling in all of my classes and graduating with one of the graduation awards um, at the end. So that was super amazing. But Dr. Chestnut was simply instrumental in my farm, the MBA success. And having that one person, and I had many, so I'm just saying, talking about her right now, Dr. Chestnut was just simply amazing. She believed in me, and having that one person believe in you is all you need in addition to, you know, perseverance and, and need to, to do better, to be better, and bettering yourself. So I'm, I'm just forever thankful to, to Dr. Chestnut. Um, in addition to her, all of the amazing professors at Drake were, were important part of my development. But special thanks always goes to Dr. Wall, uh, who was one of my biggest supporters and role models. My goodness, I actually wanted to be Dr. Wall number two when I grew up. Um, when, I was, when I was probably my second year in pharmacy school, he was just super amazing and, and just, you know, just knew so much. And I'm like, okay, I want to be like Dr. Wall when I grow up. So he was another person at Drake that just, you know, always sticks out as, as someone that, uh, that's just simply amazing. In addition to that, you know, I could name every single professor that has ever taught me something, but I'll just name a few uh, that have touched me in, in, in ways that, that really has helped me become who I am today. Um, so Dr. Phillips, Dr. Tory, Dr. Morrow, Kripal, Soltis, Dr. Larson, late Dr. Larson, they all made my Drake experience feel truly above and beyond. All were mentors really in their own way. And then, you know, in my professional life, I, I had many, many mentors. Um, I had mentors that were physicians. I had mentors that were clinical pharmacologists. I had mentors that were my University of Buffalo mentors. So, you know, to name a few, Dr. Davis, Dr. Schran, Petrozelli, Dr. Sellers, Dr. Weber, uh, Dr. Smith, and then late Dr. Forrest. Uh, were all mentors during my Novartis and UB time. Um, again, never settled to, to one single mentor. Always seek more people because you can learn so much from every single person. Uh, I've just found that that's simply, simply amazing. And look for people that, that are, you know, that believe in you, that want you to succeed, that see something in you. Um, that's, that's also really important. And then I've, I've been blessed with... Um, and wildly grateful to, to my parents and circumstances of my upbringing. I am so thankful for my mom and dad and humble and yet very stressful beginnings associated with immigration. It was, it was really, really tough. My mom was sick for a very long time. My dad wasn't with us at the beginning. I actually didn't talk about that earlier. Uh, it was just my, my, my mom and my sister and I that came to us first. So it was really, really tough, but they are, they're, Diamonds in the rough. They're just amazing people. Um, and then I had also family friends that took me under their wing um, as we just came to the United States. And I really call them actually my guardian angels. Um, their names are Nancy Weinbrenner and Dr. Dr. Nuha Shash Barzanji. 
uh, they were like second moms to me and, and um, they were just amazing role models. Dr. Shosh was actually my first role model as a woman in science and I'm forever thankful for that. She's still my, you know, one of my biggest, biggest supporters. So that's really, really in the nutshell. Uh, you know, it's so special for you to, um, you know, describe your story and the challenges that you had, especially early on. I mean, the learning English, uh, I can't even imagine. And I just want to echo, you know, how proud you must be kind of having navigated through that. But I thought it was also really important that you talked about being around people and finding people that believe in you and that see things in you. Sometimes they see it before you even see it in yourself. And, you know, they encourage you and they motivate you and then also I, I love the idea I think it's important for our listeners that it's not just one mentor it's multiple mentors and it's mentors at different times so you know the, the ones that you described I know many of them and I didn't share this in our opening but for years Renee Chestnut Dr. Chestnut as you mentioned has said to me you need to meet Sonella you two would really click and um, I think I think you guys would get along well and then we were both put on the Drake's Pharmacy, uh, National Pharmacy Counselor Advisory Board. And I remember we sat a few you know, spots away from each other. And as you were talking in the meeting, I'm like, I need to get to know her better. This is, this is a, a good connection. And, and so I, I just want to share, you know, from a gratitude standpoint, I'm grateful that our past that we're working together on the advisory council and that, uh, you know, you and I are talking today on the podcast, because I, I do think this is going to be the first of many interactions for the two of us you know, you're just inspiring me today in your story. As you and I were getting ready for this, you know, one of the things that I love is history. And during your mentors, you talked about someone that was influential with you with like a women in science, women in STEM. And so, you know, from a historical perspective, can you reflect a little bit on Marie Curie, you know, who was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in physics and the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in chemistry? You know, what did she mean to you? And just tell me a little bit more about her impact. Oh, sure, sure. So I, I have to start with just kind of covering her as a person uh, from early childhood to, to on, because I think it's important for listeners to be reminded. Uh, and then I'll tell you how it impacted me. She's uh, truly, truly wonderful. Uh, so Marie Curie was a physicist and chemist and a pioneer in study of radiation as a woman right? There was no women in late 1800s and early 1900s that were doing anything even close to that. So she was um, simply amazing for that. You've all already mentioned that she was a Nobel Prize winner uh, in 903 and 911. But one of the things that, that is important to, to mention is that she was the youngest of five kids. Her parents were educators who actually ensured that the girls were as educated as their son. So they had four girls and a son. Uh, and so, so they wanted to make sure that the girls were educated, and this was in the 1800s. Yeah, not not really done at that time. It, it was not. It was not. So they were very futuristic and very forward-looking at you know where what they wanted to see. Um, being that they were educators, I think that prompted them to to ensure that their kids were were as educated. Uh, you know, their girls were as educated as, as their son uh, or men in, at that time. So one of the things that affected Marie uh, Curie was the death of her mother uh, when she was a young girl. It truly had a profound in, uh, impact on her, um, which really fueled her wish to study science. She graduated from high school first in class. However, because she was a woman, she was not accepted to um, University of Warsaw, you know, science path. 
and it was just not her. And she actually graduated from high school and at lunch was 15. Um, so she was really, really young. Um, yeah. So her sister and her older sister and her moved to Paris where her sister attended med school uh, while Marie was governess to help pay for living expenses and so on. Being a woman sciences or woman scientist or in science was extremely, extremely difficult, as you know, um, during that time, but she continued and persevered by learning on her own, eventually ended up um, at the Sorbonne uh, in Paris, uh, but under alias name Marie. She was actually Maria prior to that, um, so she, she went under alias name Marie to sound more French. Um, she was focused and diligent student, and because of that, she was on top of her class. And then, because of those recognitions uh, and talents, she was awarded the Alexandrovich Scholarship for Polish students studying abroad. Um, that particular scholarship helped her, you know, pay for the classes needed to complete her degree uh, in both physics and math in '94, uh, 1894. Uh, after which, she met her husband, uh, and they were married in '95. She, 1895, sorry. Uh, she worked extensively uh, with radium throughout her lifetime, uh, characterizing various properties and so on. However, uh, due to the work and the amount of work that she did so close to those radioactive materials, she ended up, I mean, that actually ultimately killed her and, and uh, she died of, of likely leukemia um, in 1934. Now, Melissa, I had to go over the whole story, as I said earlier, as short as I could, as it is extremely important to note what she did, what she accomplished, and what she had to jump through to, to get um, to where she was. Again, she is the most, in my mind, the most celebrated uh, woman scientist to, you know, to live um, to date. So she's just, just simply amazing. And there's many other ones, many, many other ones, but, um, but she's my number one. Her life, in many ways, reminds me of life challenges I went through to be here today. And so I'm truly inspired by her perseverance, love for science, and simply hard work to attain everything she, she did, despite being a woman in late 1800s and, 19, and early 1900s. So that's my, my story and Marie and, and uh, Marie Curie and how she impacted me and, and my life. Well, you shared some pieces of her life that I had not heard before, which I think is always interesting for us to grow and learn. And I continually reflect when I hear about Marie or Zeta Cooper, like women who were the first at something or the only, or they sat at that table, you know, they got in the room. You know, even today in 2020, we still need to continue to make strides to open up doors and have seats at the table for women, for uh, people from underserved populations, for other first generation um, students, you know, people who maybe haven't been there before. And so, you know, one of my goals with this podcast is to really help to talk about stories and examples, and then hopefully widen the path and extend some grace and extend a helping hand to bring others up. And I think your description of Marie, you know, is really important, just the bravery that she had to do yeah. all that. I mean, I'm inspired. And, you know, when I hear stories like that, when I hear about Zeta, or when I reflect on, you know, some of the things that Gloria Frankie did, you know, she was told she couldn't work at Eli Lilly because they wouldn't hire a woman. I mean, seriously. So, you know, it's like, but they kept going. They were like, okay, that's a no, but I'm going to find another yes. So 
Thank you. And and I think the lessons that we can apply to our own lives is, you know, sometimes when it gets discouraging or um, something hard, you know, you can think, well, if they kept going, I can keep going. And and you want to keep going for future generations too. Exactly. Exactly. I think we have the opportunities today because of the women uh, before us. And I hope that the future generations are going to be able to say, you know, because of Melissa's and Sonella's in the world and, and, um, and Janine's in the world. I know that you spoke, spoke with her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I want to go on because of what they have done. Um, so I, I think that, it, you know, we're lucky. We're lucky because, yeah. because of the fact that they paved the road for us in many ways. Paving the road is so important. And like you said, you know, we have the opportunities because of the women who came before us and then we can continue to pay it forward. Well, you know, one of the things, I mean, there's so many things that are interesting about your story and your career, but a big one is you focused on innovation and research and you wanted to try and do things that, you know, maybe others hadn't before at Drake or, you know, they had put their toe in the water. There had been a little of that, but what I really appreciate and admire about your story is your moxie and you know your passion for working with other healthcare professionals on you know drug development issues. So tell us a little bit more about that. Oh sure, sure. So um, after I was done with Drake, I ended up getting into a fellowship program that was a combination fellowship program with uh, University of Buffalo. So I moved from Des Moines to Buffalo and Novartis Pharmaceutical. So it was a one year at Buffalo, one year at um, at Novartis New Jersey site. I grew like a weed uh, when I was at, um, at, at, at UB as well as the Novartis. After completion of the fellowship, I joined Novartis where I grew even more exponentially, both on personal and professional level for about 13 years. During that time, I wore many hats. While my favorite two were, um, one, being a leading clinical pharmacologist for large molecule development in oncology, and the other... Uh, the fellowship director for 12 years, um, you know, it really, the, my time at Novartis really gave me the, the ability to be a scientist that was working on the newest therapies that are there to, to outperform chemotherapy that is so detrimental in patients' lives. It's helpful, but detrimental under the same token in patients' lives. So, you know, that's, that's where I see the large molecule development in, you know, because you're looking for development of, of drugs that are specifically looking at receptors that are only on cancer cells. So they're only killing cancer cells. And then the other one, the other part is, you know, academic in me, I just, I mean, I enjoy being a fellowship director for 12 years during my time at Novartis was probably one of the, the most cherished things that I did uh, while at Novartis. And that was actually the fellowship. I was fellowship director for the fellowship program that I graduated from. So, so it was it was really um, you know another way to pay forward. Um, actually, is is by by giving back and teaching others and developing others. You know, there's there's things obviously as you know, as I, I'm a mom. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a bit uh, as well. But you know, seeing these young minds that are just you know graduating graduating PharmDs and and within this fellowship, it was also PhDs as well. But, you know, graduating doctors coming in and, and, you know, trying to soak up as much as possible was, was just one of those amazing things. And then seeing them as successful scientists, you know, years to come was, is, is, I mean, was and is one of the, 
the uh, most fulfilling things that I've done in my in my career, besides being a a clinical pharmacologist and drug developer for for many years. So during that time, I I filed over 30 INDs. So that not just at Novartis, but just in general, I filed um, 30 INDs and INPDs. I've trained over I want to say now 13, 14 fellows um, in that period. After being asked by Novartis to Novartis management to move up to Boston to head the the large molecule clinical pharmacology group up there, my family and I decided that we wanted to stay in Iowa. I actually didn't go into the details of um, of my experience. I mean, I worked for Novartis for about 13 years. Uh, five of those were in the office in New Jersey, and then I, we moved to to Iowa, and I worked from home for about eight years. They wanted to to move up to Boston, and as a family, we decided to stay in Iowa. So, so that was that was that was a that was a tough decision. They ended up wanting me to stay, uh, but I had already made a decision to move on to Deep Free Medicine, which was a, a company that was headed by one of my old mentors from from University of Buffalo, Dr. Smith. And I stayed there for about um, about nine months, actually, and decided at you know, during that time that I wanted to, wanted to kind of go on my own and start my own company here in Iowa. So that's, um, that's kind of, kind of the story of, of my, you know, just my experience with Novartis and D3 Medicine, where again, you know, at both places, I've learned, learned a ton, um, because I believe that being a continuous student of the, of science um, is, is what makes you better. That's kind of kind of the story that um, in regards to my professional experience. But um, why cancer? So my uh, my mom is a bladder cancer survivor. She actually still goes in and and you know gets things zapped. My mom's sister, so my aunt died from lung cancer, and my sister-in-law is currently battling recurrent breast cancer. So this is really really personal. Um, the fight against cancer is extremely personal, and, and uh, I, I see a huge value in in doing what I'm doing. You know, I wanted to do that obviously uh, before when cancer wasn't part of my family. I wanted to help. I wanted to have a global impact. And that's one of the reasons why I um, why I decided to go into a fellowship as opposed to a residency, where you know I would have had a great community impact as a you know a pharmacist or clinical pharmacist, but as as a you know doing the fellowship allowed me to have a more of a global impact on health, and so so again, that was the reason reason behind it. But the the personal impact uh, associated with family history with with cancer. I really believe that that fueled my need to continue to work hard, to innovate, to to move the oncology science forward. I'm incredibly blessed with opportunities to work with with and on some incredible medications that are small molecules, large molecules, as well as cell cell and gene therapies within my small biotech and large pharma clients and partners in in this you know incredible fight against cancers. So. It's a tough fight, but it's something that um, that truly fuels me to to try and innovate more, to to give more, to find ways to strategize, to develop better medications, develop safer medications, um, medications that are going to get us to that cure. It's a huge fuel tank that I that I'm blessed with. So, yeah. no, I think you talking about your why. And the motivation is so important. And 
you know, I can attest, and I know many of our listeners, almost everyone I think out there in the country and the world has been impacted or knows someone in their family or in their community, their neighbors, you know, who has experienced cancer. And so your passion, you know, for research and working towards a cure is really, really important. And, you know, I also reflected on your passion and interest related to the fellows. And I also share with you a love for learning and then interacting with students. And I remember early in my career, my preceptor at the time during my residency talked about how much he liked working with me and, you know, mentoring and just seeing my growth. And I was kind of like, huh, what's that, what's that all about? Like, I didn't quite understand it. And, you know, then when you get on the other, on the other side and you're helping students and seeing what they do, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. A student that I've mentored and have worked very closely with just received a big scholarship. You know, another one received an award. And that's really more meaningful than the accomplishments or awards that I've received. Like to see them, yes. you know, go, yes. out, go out there in the world. And, you know, when I got the news, I had written a letter of recommendation. When I got the news that she had been selected, I did a happy dance uh, for Lupe. So, you know, I think, I think you and I share that. And I, I also think, that when we're able as leaders to give back down the road, it's such a good thing. And again, you know, that's part of this kind of widening the path. So I think that's a good segue into this idea that you had that I think was really innovative and cool, this connection that you made with Drake University to have a um, postdoctoral drug development fellowship program. And that's, you know, it's a relatively new program. I, I saw on social this week that they've announced the, a new fellow, I think the second fellow, so can you tell us like how you did that and how that came about? Because like, that's super cool. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, so so let me start with saying that I founded my company uh, in March, Bonnetro, in March of 2018. One of the many things that I learned at Drake was to always think beyond the borders or some will say outside of the box. And so that brought me to thinking that uh, building a drug development uh, expertise in Midwest, primarily in Iowa, was really, really important step for, for really the well-being of my company, as I knew that I couldn't do it all uh, while wanting to grow the company. And so right. I came up with the idea to fund and start a fellowship program uh, in collaboration with Drake University, uh, my alma mater. And um, I you know, sent an email to, to uh, Renee, you know, with, an e with the idea, um, just saying, would you like to, you know, or do you have some time to meet to discuss a potential fellowship? And she's like, sure, that would be great. Um, we ended up uh, meeting. I told her about what my thoughts were on, you know, what I wanted to do. Uh, the email was very vague, actually. So I got into the meeting and Renee was like, so how can we work together? And so, so, you know, I told her what I wanted to do. She quickly brought in a couple of other folks and um, the, the idea was soon realized as a one-year Drake Lime Drug Development Fellowship. And, you know, very soon after we were, we were blessed with our amazing first fellow, Dr. Amanda Harris. And then now, as you have just noted, our second fellow, Dr. Ivy Ju. So it's really, you know, an idea. And again, you know, going back to Renee believing in me, supporting me, and like believing that this is something that could be great. I'm going to quote Renee actually here. I, I had just, just, uh, just earlier this year, I, I received the Alumni Achievement Award. And uh, during her 
introduction of me, she talked about the fellowship as being a transformative part of, of Drake. Um, and I just, I honestly, when I was thinking about this, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it as big when we first started talking about it. But I've always, always wanted to essentially give back to Drake in a way that allowed the students to allow the students to, to grow in different ways. Um, my time at Drake, actually, I mean, I can't, I can't even tell you how proud I am that I'm able to be, to be able to say that I graduated from Drake because it's an amazing school and, you know, the experiences that I had because they're extremely unique experiences and I, you know, they're my Drake experiences. But there's still things that, that, uh, that you know, we can, we can grow into as Drake. We can grow into doing research, doing drug development research is something that uh, is important as PharmDs are not, not only doing community, uh, community pharmacy work, uh, clinical pharmacy work, and, you know, you know, potentially some of the regulatory pharmacy work. There, there are many PharmDs that are, that are doing regulatory and, and, um, and clinical pharmacology as well as research uh, level work. And so, so getting the, the ability to, to have that research sense uh, within Drake was something that was extremely important. So I just find, you know, find it that, find that it's a, it's a really great thing. And I'm, you know, I'm extremely honored and, and proud to be part of this part partnership and to be able to, to give back to Drake in this way. So that's, that's really one of the things. Then in general, we talked about giving back. Um, giving back is incredibly important to me. I do give back, you know, in addition to the, the fellowship because of Drake experience. Um, because that particular day experience was the most unique experience in the world for me. Again, talking about people believing in you, people giving you, you know, allowing you to have that extra wind to uh, maybe attain something that you maybe didn't think you could. That is what, what Drake gave me. You know, I say this because I was able to shine as bright right next to people that graduated from MIT and Harvard and Stanford and, you know, whatever, any, any big school. And this is truly because of the amazing Drake experience. They prepared me to think, you know, to think outside the box, to believe in myself and to, to just, you know, keep going. So that's kind of the, um, the story about that. And it again, brings me back to the power of mentorship is incredibly important. And I was truly blessed with so many that, um, that it's, it's great to be able to give back and, and do the same. So I, I would echo you know, what Renee said when she provided you with the award you know, during your, her comments that I firmly believe that the fellowship is a transformative experience for Drake College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. And I think a good lesson, Sonella, that you talked about that I'd like our listeners to take away is it just starts with an idea. You had an idea. You reached out, you set up the meeting, because I bet that was scary even thinking to set up the meeting. Yes. Because <laughs> that's like the first step. It's like, oh God, we might do this, or, you know, or this might happen. And so, you know, I think that's important for our listeners to think about is when you have the idea or you want to try to do something new or disruptive or, you know, unique to just go for it. And especially if you have supportive people around you, people that you've worked with that you know will take your call or take the meeting. You know, sometimes it's just a coffee together or it's, um, hey, can I run this by you? How could we make this work? And that 
you know, you can iterate and things can evolve. So I, I'm just so proud of you. And, you know, that's a legacy that's going to live on. I mean, beyond all of our time together. So yeah, that's just really inspiring. And I look forward to meeting, you know, I, I, once we'll be back on campus, whenever that happens, but um, to, you know, meeting the new fellow and just learning more. So that's just super, super, super cool. Um, well, our time today is winding down, but I did want to ask you, you know, while I have you on the call, if there's one life lesson or prescription that you'd like to share with us related to, you know, in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts, and you've touched on many of them already today. Yeah, so I don't have one, so I'll, I'll try to be quick. Um, you can have more than one. That's good. Sounds good. Never forget to say thank you. Power of thank you is incredible. The other one is you can accomplish anything in life. I can promise that it will be easy and always a smooth sailing, but it will be, it will be definitely worth it. But you need to trust and process and believe in yourself. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm an example of it. You can achieve anything you set your mind to. You just have to work hard and always stay hopeful. Never let anyone tell you that your dreams are too big. Always chase after your dreams, and it's never too late to start chasing after your dreams, whatever that is. Again, it's truly possible. Trust me, I have I've gone through it. And one other, one just one last, I guess maybe maybe second to last uh, last thing is, don't wait for the opportunities. It's important to look for the opportunities, and then once you find those opportunities, go and soar. That is something that has helped me be who I am today. It's, you know, if you're sitting and waiting for something to happen, it's going to take a long time for something to happen. And so, so just think about it. Think about it a bit, a bit more. And the last thing is uh, try to surround yourself. And we talked about this and touched upon earlier, but try to surround yourself with people that believe in you. And, and it really have more than one mentor, have more than one person that believes in you. You know, it could be your parents, could be your friends, could be your mentors, your professors, your, your coworkers, your bosses. You can learn and definitely learn many different things from different people. And then once you succeed, make sure to pay back and pay it forward because it is important. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have people that were paying it forward and paying back. Well, that is a beautiful, beautiful way to end our discussion. Always stay hopeful. I think during these tough, unprecedented times, that's a message that we can all, you know, take in and resonate with us. It's never too late. You know, we can begin today, whatever that is. And you've, gave, you've given us so many examples and really have been a bright light in our world with that. So I want to say thank you for sharing today. I learned so much and I look forward to continuing our discussions because I think you and I are just getting started. Super duper fun. I just want to say that this is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast and to everyone listening, thanks so much. And if you please subscribe to our show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan on social media, a special shout out to my fabulous producer, Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solution. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much, Melissa, for having me as part of this. And, and um, I really look forward to talking to you many more times.